Support for WVIK comes from Kathleen Collins at the Dragonfly in Bettendorf. Using both conventional and alternative counseling methods for empowerment to help create change for individuals and couples. More information is at KathleenCollinsCounseling.com. Support for Talking Art comes from Quad City Bank and Trust, providing consumer and commercial banking as well as trust and asset management. For more information, visit QCBT.bank or stop by one of QCBT's five locations. This is Carolyn Martin, and I'm talking art today with Heidi Draley McFall, whose solo exhibition, Veiled, the Art of Heidi Draley McFall, is now on display at the Figgy Art Museum in Davenport. Welcome, Heidi. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, of course. This show is your latest work, and it's a series of large-scale, very monumental-sized portraits that look exactly like photographs when you walk into the exhibition space, but they're not photographs. They're actually resin drawings, and they have a very timeless, haunting quality to them. What exactly is a resin drawing? Well, a resin drawing is exactly how it sounds. It is paper with resin poured on top of it. So if if you've ever sat like in a restaurant and seen a glossy surface table or sat at a bar at a restaurant and seen that super glossy surface, that is usually resin. It's a very thick uh, coating that is poured upon rigid substrates such as wood. And many, many artists now for the past several years have been experimenting with them on a variety of surfaces, usually wooden surfaces or thick, rigid substrates. But I decided I wanted to find out what would happen if I were to pour it on my paper drawings. And so that's how I arrived at resin drawings. Mm-hmm. Well, there's something almost wizardly about them, I guess I would I would say, because they're they're black and white and various shades of gray, numerous shades of gray, and you rendered them initially in pastels. Mm-hmm. Um, and what what did the application of this resin, which is like an epoxy, what mm-hmm. did that allow you to do? How did it transform your work? Well, I had been making standard drawings for a very long time, maybe 20 years, Could I could say, maybe, maybe a little less than that. And through through that span of time, I'd always did experimentation within that. And then at, at one point, I took a darkroom photography class. And that was a very big moment for me. I took it at Blackhawk Community College. And after that, I realized I could be in control of all the source material for my work. And it was a very liberating thing to have control over now. I no longer had to, to give control over to a developer at a photo lab. I could make my own source material. So at first I thought I would just continue. This was in 2015. At first I thought that I was just going to continue making straightforward replication drawings in this photorealistic format, highly realistic and diffused. And then I was going to set up a darkroom in my studio. And in order to do that, I put a countertop in and I decided to go ahead and do a wood countertop and pour epoxy resin on it. The minute I poured the resin on the countertop, I had a very strong feeling that I could and should do this to my work. And so from there, I did a few weeks of research to kind of think, is this 
a normal thing to do, a right thing to do on paper. I know it's a not a good combination to combine liquids with paper, but I went ahead and did it. And it first it worked and then it and then it became this like long three year period of figuring out how is this going to keep working for me? There were ups and downs throughout that period. And at a certain point, I started to decide that I wanted something more than just a glossy surface or a sanded surface, because the larger the pictures were, the harder they are to see if they're really glossy. So one day I picked up one of my pictures and underneath it, I had been putting waxed paper to protect the overflow, and I saw that the waxed paper didn't stick to the picture, yet it made this beautiful impression of waxed paper. And I thought, that could be very beautiful if I were to put waxed paper all over the work. So then I started doing all these experiments with tarps and shower curtains and waxed paper on a small format to see what wouldn't stick to resin. And then after I found out that none of those materials stuck to resin, I decided that that was going to be what I would pursue, which would be drawings with the resin on them, and then the the second layer of resin would have an impression of a shower curtain. And then once I started figuring out that formula and how interesting it was to me, I went down this long journey, a four-year journey of figuring out all these different surfaces to apply to the work. And Mm -hmm. it really altered the work way more than the resin itself. It was that addition of the surfaces that just spiraled the work into this whole other stratosphere of possibilities. Mm-hmm. You you know, you mentioned Shower Curtain, and if you've not seen the exhibition, it's kind of hard to, I'm sure, to understand what that means. And and it's it was just another way of embedding a material, a synthetic material onto this resin, then when you, and you let it dry. For about 24 to 48 hours. Uh-huh. And then, and you can see this on your Instagram mm-hmm. page, which is really interesting, you gradually peel it off. Mm-hmm. And you can see underneath it the series of creases and lines that the material that you embedded created. And so it gives it – it's almost like a three-dimensional quality. Mm-hmm. It's They're two-dimensional works, but yet there's so much depth to it. It's really fascinating. You can walk all around and look at these – look at these um, – works from different angles and you see so much much more was that was that a terrifying process to to pour epoxy onto your meticulously drawn works because you you are so good at at hyper realism it was terrifying and it stayed terrifying on and off when i could see when i started to figure out that it could be done and it could be done successfully and retaining all the detail, the terror started to subside. But then when I started to add these different dyes and pigments to the resin and started to make mistakes in that arena, if I didn't adequately mix the dyes and pigments, I started to make more mistakes. And so I had to just stay very calm and examine all the data as it occurred to me and presented itself to me through the working process in the studio and then very, very meticulously and with great discipline execute each step. And if I executed each step accurately and with discipline, I would get the results that I was hoping for. So the terror has given way to 
often exhilaration and elation has different things happen that are intriguing and interesting. And then it just becomes this momentum that just keeps pushing itself forward and satisfying me, nourishing me with creative problems to keep solving within the studio space. So usually it's not terrifying anymore, but sometimes an idea falls flat. And that's always sad, but then you just sort of keep trying the next idea. <laughs> that's a good metaphor for most of us, no matter what we do. But, but you know, with these these large drawings, and how, how large are would you say the average one is that's at the Figgy? Well, at the Figgy, Vanessa Sage, the curator, and I were very careful to include small, which would be, I think there might be 13 by 18 inch, all the way up to the largest one, which I believe is about 60 by 90 inches. And the the importance for me of working large is that that's the only way to really get enough real estate to fully investigate what a shower curtain would do on like a large scale or mm-hmm. what shrink wrap can do on a very, very large scale. The kind of thing that you wrap your refrigerator in if you're transporting it or you know, shrink wrap that you, it's an, an, you know, a packing material. And it was the only way for me to truly thoroughly examine the behaviors of these materials. Mm -hmm. But then if you can discipline yourself to examine them on a small scale, they have a lot of interest there too. So the size was really, really important, but I also wanted to have it varied. And so that was a strategic decision that Vanessa and I made together. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, you know, I'm curious about that because they're so large. You said the largest is 60 by 90. So we're talking over five feet mm-hmm. in height. How do you faithfully draw a face, a portrait at that size? Well, the same way I've been doing it since I was, oh, 15 years old, which is this grid method. And so I'll make a very exact grid on a smaller piece of my my photo, which would be about an eight by 10. And then I'll make an exact grid that's the same corresponding measurement, and then render it faithfully according to that grid method. And it's a method that's been used for hundreds of years by artists. Some artists use projectors to get exact information. There are all different ways that artists get at that. But this is my particular method of replication. Hmm. And then so it must take a very long time to make that pastel. And you subsequently pour the epoxy on the resin on. And it must be so disheartening at some point, you're not happy with the results and you've lost all that time. But did you find that you learned as much from your failures as from your successes? Or how, how did that work? I certainly think that when you're younger, failure feels like the end of the world. And then as you get a little bit older, you start to understand how important failure is because you learn just as much, if not more, when things go wrong because you figure out what you need to do to make it go right next. And it's also humbling. It mm-hmm. it keeps you very, very humble within the things that you can and cannot control So failure was extremely important. One example would be when I started putting the dyes and pigments into the work, into the resin, I didn't adequately mix them one time. And I just threw them in thinking, oh, it went great last time. It's going to go great this time. And I'm pouring all these pigments in there and I'm mixing them up as well as I can. And then I pour it onto a perfectly completed drawing. And then right away, I can see there are 
bits of the pigment just floating around and I start to spread it out with the trowel and gradually it turns to this gooey mush on top of the drawing and you think you can save it but you can't (laughs) and you just learn okay next time I've got to be very diligent. Little YouTube videos have worked really well with these wonderful people that give little essays or discussions about how to adequately mix resin. So I find myself always looking at the most unlikely of sources to get information of how to get it right the next time. Mm-hmm. Well, and that leads me up into into this, the fact that you are a self-taught artist, despite having shown your work um, regionally, nationally, and internationally, y- you taught yourself how to draw. H- how, how did that happen? Can you walk us through that? I've st- said many times that I did have a, an excellent high school art teacher and wonderful, wonderful students that I learned alongside, and we really challenged each other and pushed each other. And I think it laid the groundwork for me to always consider art as a serious thing. And so I did did a lot of my own study, a lot of my own research. And then certainly when it came time to get very serious about this resin pursuit, it was um, very, I got much more serious about looking more with greater scrutiny at what do I really consider to be great art and what constitutes great art. Certainly it's not just photorealism. There are so many wonderful things that are helpful, uh, that are essential to look at to educate me. And I started looking much more deeply at like film noir from the 40s and 50s, um, the work of like Orson Welles, you know, revolutionary groundbreaking filmmakers and the way the choices that they made, the way it could impact my work. I started looking much more closely at minimalism, different different styles of movements of art within the 20th century. And all those things just kind of kept coming together and educating me about the way to go forward that would be the most interesting, inspiring way for me to keep moving forward as an artist. So while you had high school instruction, you did not pursue a undergraduate or a graduate degree in art? No, and part of an essential part of undergraduate and graduate degrees and is getting challenged to think critically about what it is that you're doing. And being that I didn't ever get that, when it came time to start thinking so critically in this new way about making this work, it was like I had to go through it then. And I then went back and reestablished a closer, even closer relationship with my high school art teacher and her husband, who were both they both had MFAs um, from Iowa. I think they both got them from Iowa. And I think that like the Art Institute of Chicago. And we started some lengthy discussions and conversations about what I was doing over the course of several years. And there were challenging conversations to challenge me about my what it is that I'm trying to achieve here. And then so, so it was almost like I got, I got a kind of an MFA later in life through those people. <laughs> You're from DeWitt, Iowa. Yeah. Are they teaching in that area still? They are both educators in the upper Iowa area. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, the title of the exhibition is Veiled, which is a very apt name because each portrait is obscured by the layers that you've that you've placed on top of your drawing. 
so when the observer faces the drawing, the image looking back at you, you, you you're peering at it, but you're not seeing it completely. You're not seeing it clearly the way you originally drew that. I'm just wondering, you've, you've created these over the past four years. What ideas or concepts were you thinking about? And what are you hoping that the viewer takes away? I think there are things that the viewers take away in an across-the-board way, specifically what you just said about these layers and feeling like it's changing or you can't quite see it. I think there are sentiments that people are drawing from the work that almost create a consensus of what the work sort of means. I couldn't say that I know exactly what it means. I feel like consensus is like sort of created by the feedback that you get from people. And if I were to think about this idea or this concept of veiled, the fact that we can't really know each other really in a complete or total way. Like, I don't know what this person over here is thinking at Wednesday night at 10 o'clock or what kind of troubled thought a person might be having over here on Friday at 7 in the morning or uh, uh, the the way the, the secret thoughts and feelings, these ways that we feel are only known to us. And certainly some of the works in the show are much more exempt. What's the word? Um, certain certain works exemplify that veiled quality more than others. Certainly, there are ones with, that have ripples going down the fronts of them, and they are very obscured from certain angles. Mm-hmm. And then the shower curtain works actually aren't quite as um, exemplifying that same quality as much. So it it varies from work to work within the show. But I think ev- I think a lot of people feel that it's hard to know others or maybe be understood. Or I also feel like it's hard to even see reality at certain times in this current world that we're living in. You know, you'll have one set of information over here and another set of information, or you'll have a, a, a circumstance which takes place and you'll have two completely different ways of looking at that exact same circumstance. So for me, these works are ways of deciphering our current state of living where there's no like surety necessarily. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I can totally see that. And you know, you 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 look at them, you you realize you don't know. There's so much that's mysterious about that person you're looking at. Even though the image you're looking at is is very large, they're looking usually m- most of them are looking directly at you. But you know, we know really never know ourselves completely even. So it it certainly caused me to reflect on that. And then in addition, the majority, if not all of these works on exhibition are women. So I found that very interesting as well. Um, who, who do you use primarily as your subjects? I often use close family and friends, and then there will be acquaintances from my past. Every once in a while, we'll have a, a moment and I'll have my equipment ready and I'll take some pictures Many of these pictures were were developed in my darkroom, and they are photographs that were taken 10 and 25 years ago, or 20 years ago these photographs were taken. So maybe in some kind of way they also have, they have this quality. I also think that black and white imagery and black and white photography inherently has that. It's imbued with, with a quality that feels maybe quote-unquote timeless just because of that black and white aspect. 
Mm-hmm. Vintage, you had used, actually the title of one of yours uses the word daguerreotype. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. And and so it and so that's a oh, kind of turn of the century, perhaps a photograph that was, I think, printed on 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 silver. Um, I'm, I'm not sure if that's exact technique, but I think most of us can kind of think when we hear that word daguerreotype can kind of think back and and it, it, your work is reminiscent of that. It's very very modern and yet crosses times crosses you know centuries almost because you can you can see the the older original impact from when photography was first being developed it's so interesting i think a, a key component to the reason why that is is because what i'm working on actually this is a, a key point is um darkroom photography the paper is is called rc paper and RC is short for resin-coated paper. Mm-hmm. So those are those key components, resin and paper, that's the foundational paper from the darkroom space. And I, I don't know for sure the daguerreotype process, but it's the very earliest process from like the 1830s. And that would have been done, tin, tin types come into it too. Silver halide crystals is in there. I don't know exactly all these the ways that they um, are exactly present in those modes. But all of those thoughts and materials, like they are all in my brain, kind of like ping-ponging all over the place. And uh, that I, I, I glance at them. I don't stare directly at them too hard, but they're there. And I'm thinking about them as I make these works. Um and it just kind of comes out like that way, I guess. Uh-huh. Well, Heidi, you're, you're from DeWitt, but you have shown all over the world. Uh, how how does it feel to have this exhibition up now at the Figgy Art Museum? Well, it feels really perfect timing, I guess I'd say, because I haven't shown since 2017. And I started this journey of searching for how what is this resin thing going to actually eventually mean in my life? And when I started these surfaces in 2018, it's now been four years since I've been doing these surfaces, and I've been talking with the Figgy on and off for a number of years, exchanging emails and a couple studio visits. And then when they came last fall, Vanessa Sage came and uh, offered me a show. The Figgy offered me this show. It was just that I couldn't have hoped for better timing because by that time I'd sort of worked out the necessary tweaks and refinements to figure out where I needed to be with the process. And I'd done so much work. So basically, we just had to pare it down. It was hard to select. But I'm just very grateful and thankful that I can finally make what was just something in the studio, maybe feeling like a mad scientist or a crazy tinkerer. For so many years, it can actually like be a real thing that exists outside my studio space. I was prepared to never show again, and this would have been the end of it. But yeah, it didn't happen. I did have this. This show did come up, and so I'm really thankful that I can. It can actually be real. Mm. Well, we are too. It's absolutely beautiful work, and I hope many people in our community take the chance and the opportunity to see it. Thank you very much. Yes, of course. Heidi Draley McFall, thanks for talking today. Congratulations on your show. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm very appreciative. Thank you.
Head to the Figgy Art Museum in Davenport to see the exhibition, Veiled, The Art of Heidi Draley McFall, on display through June 4th. For museum hours and additional information, visit the Figgy's website, figgyartmuseum.org. And you can watch reels showcasing the artist's creative process on her Instagram page, at Heidi Draley McFall. This has been Carolyn Martin, Talking Art in the Quad Cities for WVIK. Our theme music is provided by a Quad City legend, the late Ellis Cal. Thank you.